Grace Chapel podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We're so glad you're here. Before we get started, we want to remind you of the importance of being connected into a local church body. Podcasts are a gift from God, but are meant to be supplemental and not substitute or replace the gathering of the saints in worship in the word. With that being said, we pray that this teaching would bless you, equip you, and encourage you in your walk with Christ. Good morning. Uh, So I was raised in church. I went from like hospital nursery to church nursery. And then whenever the church was open, my family was there. So I I grew up with the incredible blessing of being in uh, churches where people loved on us and, and taught us the word of God. And I got to sing in the children's choir and the youth choir and learn how to, I mean, like every nerdy church thing you can imagine. That was my life. Um, My first job was at a Christian bookstore. I've been immersed in in Christianity as long as I've existed. Um, And there are things that I've missed. Go figure. We're all going to miss things. So there's things that I missed, things I never encountered, things that I never bumped into. Uh, A few years ago, I got the incredible blessing of being able to go through a graduate program at Richmond Graduate University and start taking classes on spiritual formation. Spiritual formation is a term that I had heard but wasn't really familiar with, and it literally means what it says. We are being formed spiritually, and so we were looking into practices of how to be formed into the image of God and ways that we can participate in that. And I was introduced to practices that, that my old Southern Baptist self had never bumped into, that other streams of the church are very familiar with and I just didn't know about yet. And through this process, my, my view of God just kept expanding and expanding and expanding to the point at one point, I, I felt like, you ever had that thing where you're, you're grabbing, like I need to grab this and I'm gonna grab that and then this and that and I've gotta take this thing and then you try to get like three more and everything starts rumbling. You're like, how can I possibly hold on to all of this? I started feeling like that with everything that I was learning and all these new things about God. And I started getting really concerned, like how can I hold on to this and this at the same time? This is too much. I can't get my hands around it. And then all of a sudden, the Lord very sweetly was like, yeah. And so what I was experiencing was my vision of God just growing and him seeming bigger and more expansive. Through that process, I encountered these practices, um, and these practices have actually led to what we're going to be talking about today. One of them is uh, the practice of Lexio Divina. It's a divine reading. It's a, it's a devotional way of reading scripture, a prayerful way of reading scripture. It's not so much study as it is prayer. So I, I encountered that practice, which is an ancient practice um, throughout the history of the church. And then I I, uh, learned about the discipline of silence and listening prayer. So prayer that doesn't involve me talking, it involves me listening. And so I would go into my office and sit in my beat-up leather chair and listen. Or I was going through the book of Luke and was reading the passage out loud and would read it two or three times and then just pay attention for what kind of got highlighted and then sit with that and meditate on it and talk to God about it and then just pray and listen. 
Well, the passage that we're going to be looking at today is likely very familiar to all of us, uh, and I think it's appropriate considering we've been going through this series on being built together. It's the passage where Jesus talks about the man who builds his house on the rock and compares him to the man who builds his house on the sand and what happens to those houses. And as I was going through that process, I noticed there's these three descriptors in the book of Luke of what the man is like who builds his house on the rock. He comes to Jesus, he hears what Jesus says, and he does it. So we're going to look at those three things, coming to Jesus, hearing from Jesus, doing what Jesus says, and then we'll look and spend some time looking at and comparing these two different men that Jesus describes and what happens to their houses. So before we do that, let's pray one more time and we'll read our scripture. Lord, I pray that you would speak, that you'd speak to all of us, that through the Holy Spirit, we would hear exactly what you're saying whether it's something that I say or whether it's something that you say that I'm not even close to saying. Lord, I pray that you give us ears to hear your words. Give us ears to hear you and and to start to say, wow, what if? What if the church looked like that? What if my heart was transformed like that? What could happen, God? What if? Would you do that today, Lord? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if I have a title today, it's what if. Okay, Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. This is Jesus talking, and he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Okay, so let's unpack this. Let's kind of go through it a piece at a time. So the first verse, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. So we've got three characteristics here of the type of man who builds his house on a rock, and it's the type of house that can withstand a flood raging against it. So what's the first characteristic? What's Jesus say? He says, the man who comes to me. So the first thing that we see here is relationship. This is a relational process. It's coming to Jesus before we skip ahead to trying to hear what he says, before we skip ahead to trying to do the thing. It's consistently coming to Jesus. Okay, so here's part one of the story that I was telling you. Sitting in silence in that leather chair in my office, beat up chair, it was my spot. I just knew I was gonna go sit there and I think Jesus knew I was gonna go sit there. And so we would just sit there and meet. And I would sit in silence. Um, Initially, I had to set a timer on my phone because 35 seconds of silence felt like an hour. And so I had to set a timer just to know, okay, I just, I did 10 minutes, 10 whole entire minutes. Now, this was during a season for Allison and I and our family where we were really seeking 
a word from the Lord, a word about our direction, a word about our future. God, what are you doing? What's going on? And that's what we wanted to hear was some direction. So I would sit in my chair and basically say, all right, God, hit me. I'm ready. And I'm listening. And I would hear, come here. Come back the next day. All right, Lord, come here. Come here. Come here. I remember going home and telling Allison, I'm like, I'm sitting, I'm seeking, I'm listening. And I would tell her, and God said, come here. And she's like, and after he said that, um, and I, it's important uh, for me to point out how I was hearing it. Uh, did you notice I didn't say I heard come here? I heard come here. So what did that tell me? There's a kindness in that. There's a familiarity. There's family. There's he, the incarnate Christ, the one who left heaven to come be a person is using the skills of the incarnation to speak in a way that was tender for me. It unwound some of my sense that I might be sitting in the principal's office. That as I approach God, I'm probably a disappointment or I'm in trouble. It was during that season, there's going to be moments where I'll be emotional just remembering his kindness. I remember the moment that I saw Jesus smiling. I had never thought of a smiling Jesus in my entire life. For some of you, that may sound crazy. For others of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I, I, I see him as powerful, holy, righteous, strong, the miracle worker, the one that would come in when his people are being abused in the temple and turn over tables, the one who conquered death, hell, and the grave. What I never saw was Jesus smiling as I sat in that chair day after day. I met the smiling Jesus. I heard, come here, come here, come here. So come to the Lord. That's the very first step. Now, just quickly, I want to look at a list of who's invited. Who's he talking to when he talks about people coming to him? Listen to this. The weary, the burdened, the poor in spirit, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, the grieving, the merciful, the meek, the pure in heart, peacemakers, those that are persecuted for righteousness, all who are thirsty, little children, zealots and tax collectors, fishermen and thieves, a woman freed from demonic possession, a paralyzed man whose friends had to demo a roof of a house just to get him to Jesus, betrayers and deniers, Pharisees, and murderers, even Paul, who was both a Pharisee who was persecuting the church, and Jesus knocked him off of his horse literally and called him to come. When Jesus talks about those who come, the point that I'm making here is the door is wide open, wide open. He has invited all to come. So all have the possibility, the chance to become the type of person 
that we'll be talking about soon, to be transformed into that person. Come to Jesus. Okay, the next word. The next word we, we see here is that uh, the person does what? Hears Jesus. The person who comes to me and hears what I say. Now, do you know the context of the passage that we're looking at right now? Uh, I had forgotten the context. I kind of lived in this little part so long. It's at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And so what Jesus is saying here is the context of it is the person who comes to me and hears the things that I say, and then he goes on to say, and does them. So let's just look at some of the things that he said so we understand the context here. Be more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees. When somebody slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek also. Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Judge not that you will not be judged. Listen, that's just part of the things that he says just in the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe you're feeling like how I was feeling that's like, oh, okay, so all I have to do to be the type of man who builds a house on the rock and it withstands the storms is do everything Jesus said. I'm out. That's impossible. That can't be done. Here's what's important to remember with these three elements. They are interlinked. They build on top of each other. So my story back in the leather chair, I heard, come here, come here, come here, come here. And I was spending time in this passage. Come here, come here. Maybe you see where this is going. Come here. One day it changed from come here, from proximity to come, hear, come, listen. After all that time just sitting, I was excited to see what he was going to say. It wasn't overwhelming. It, wasn't, it was spending time with him in that way had reformed my view of God. And things were just falling off of me. These lies, these bad views of him, they were, they were falling to the ground. And I'm walking lighter. And so before, I would have been concerned that like Jesus is about to tell me some stuff to do and I'm not gonna be able to do it or I'm not gonna wanna do it. My heart started turning to the point that it was like, oh God, please talk. I'm not scared to hear what you're gonna say. Now, I want to tell you I've done that perfectly every moment since. I want to tell you that that would be a lie, and one of the things God says not to do is lie, so I'm not going to lie. This isn't easy. It's a journey. It's a process. But what I did notice is my heart was changing through the proximity. So come to him and hear. Now, how we hear also matters. Um, the Pharisees came to Jesus, and they listened to what he said, but their motivation often was to trap him, to destroy him. And so coming to Jesus with the intention of being with him matters. Coming to Jesus with the intention when you're going to hear is to hear him as a disciple, as one with an open heart. And what I'm talking about isn't just for us as individuals. It is for us as individuals. But this is all for us as a church on a journey together right now. 
We are being built together. We are clearly heading somewhere. And these things are crucial for us as a body as we go forward to continually hear from the Lord. What's important here too is to hear from the Lord. One of the things growing up in church is I heard about the Lord. And I sort of farmed out hearing from the Lord. I let other people, I let my Sunday school teacher take care of that. The pastor, and let them just tell me what Jesus says. He doesn't say, go to 14 other people and listen to what they tell you about me. He says, the man who comes to me and hears me. Now, the beauty is he's left us his written word. And he's given us community to help us here. He's given us centuries of orthodox belief in the church to see how were people hearing this three centuries after he went to heaven. How, what was it like here? What was it like here? He's given us the ability to hear him. And so that's the second piece. Come to him and hear him. Now, the third one, the last piece of, of these three things, the final step is to do what Jesus says. In theory, that sounds really simple, right? Like, here's a list of things, do the things. Why is it so hard? We, we can will ourselves into loving our enemy for a few minutes, maybe for a day, like at our best, but grinding and willpower, it doesn't get us there. Has anybody else experienced that? like trying really hard to do all the things, we don't have enough willpower to do this. This, this feels similar to other places in Scripture where God describes it as like, basically, it's a mirror showing you you need me. Like this whole list of things, yes, they are impossible aside from me. So how do we do these things? Remember I told you these three things are linked? We continually come to Jesus. And in that process, we are being transformed. Dallas Willard has a quote that I mostly love and a little bit hate. He says this, Christian maturity is, let me get this right, I should have written this down, when we effort, effortlessly do what Jesus would do in our place in any given situation. Christian maturity is when we effortlessly do what Jesus would do if he were in our place. I understand that, and that's a miracle. But that's what we're talking about. That's the what if. Think about that for a second. What if we effortlessly loved our enemy? if we effortlessly blessed those who curse us and would spitefully use us, can we willpower our way into that one? Nope. It requires absolute transformation. And that's what these three things, that's what they do. That's what's happening here is we can become the type of person. We can become the type of church who loves the poor just because that's who we are. Who prays for the sick and on the days when it's God's will, they're healed. Just that's who we are. We preach the gospel. We tell people about Jesus. We love our families. I, I have an example 
of, let me say it this way. I wanna be, I wanna be clear that it's not like we don't have to try, okay? Like we have a part to play in this. So story a few years ago, somebody I was in relationship with um, had been offended by me, um, felt like I had done him terribly wrong in a situation that he later came back and said, man, that was me. I'm so sorry. But that took years. During that process, I was thinking about this. And so it's like, I am going to bless those who curse me. I am going to love my enemy. And so I just did it. Gritted my teeth and found ways to do it. And what I noticed eventually through the doing was my heart changed. And I started feeling love for this person. And so we can do these things even before we're transformed into this like Dallas Willard picture of, ah, super Christian. Um, Let's just not give up on, ah. Like, let's continue to hope for that what if. But I can testify to how my heart changed within me. And I felt so much affection. And so when this person called me a while later, I was so thrilled to get the phone call. And when he said, man, that was me, my thought was like, I know. And I love you. And for the things that were me, I'm so sorry. Because it's not like I was Mr. Perfect and he was the only one that was, it's like, no, I for sure did things that hurt him. And our relationship is so sweet now and better, I think, than it's ever been. And literally, it was from just trying, just trying to do one of these things, to do the things that I heard Jesus say as I came and sat with him. Okay, is that making sense? Come, hear, do. Okay, let's keep going. Let's keep unpacking. Um, oh, before we go to the rest of the scripture, I do want to say on the, on the issue of these being interrelated, have you ever played Jenga? And so you, you pull the thing, you pull the thing, you pull the thing, you move it, and like, doop, 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 doop. Okay, so picture the last moment of Jenga, and it's about to crash, right? When you remove coming, hearing, or doing, like, you're playing late-stage Jenga. <laughs> this whole thing starts falling apart when you remove one. Here's some examples. Um, what if we come to Jesus and we hear him, but we don't do anything. The Bible talks about that, right? Faith without works is dead. So our faith dies. We are built to do all three. What happens when we hear and we do without coming to Jesus? Uh, a couple of things that can happen there. Burnout happens really quick because we aren't going to our source of life and we're trying to do the things that we heard him say to do and we just start burning out immediately. Uh, on a more corporate scale, um, mission drift, or, or John, Ortberg, John Ortberg has a, a term, shadow mission. So the idea of the shadow mission is like, this is my mission. With, actually, I'll do it this way. This is my mission with God. Shadow mission is like, click. Like, it's just off course just off course. But what happens after a mile, after two miles, after 10 miles, after 100 miles? You're so far from your mission 
And shadow mission happens in that space of doing without coming to Jesus and checking in. It's like going on a hike in the mountains with no compass and just hoping for the best. Bad things happen. So when we remove that Jenga piece, we're in danger of everything falling over. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 2, to the, the letter to the church in Ephesus. Jesus says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil and have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you were enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and have not grown weary. That's a list of like, you guys are doing the things I said. But then he says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. You've abandoned your first love. That sure sounds a lot like you've abandoned coming and sitting in your leather chair in your office and listening to me say, come here. And so you turn away from that. And so the answer is, remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. Just, Jesus gives us the opportunity. Just turn back. Just come back. Come back. And so if we will be in the constant process of checking in, checking in, checking in, checking in, there's less chance for shadow mission taking over. I'm going to do that thing where I walk back and forth for a second and talk to God and see if this is the moment he wants me to say the thing. That's just play by play. We'll get to it in a minute. Okay, doing without coming to Jesus or hearing him, just doing things. Can you imagine anybody in the Bible that might be like that? Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, listen to this. You are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So what does frantic activity without listening to God or spending time with him cause? Anxiousness, anxiety, and trouble. Martha was missing it. She was missing the Lord. Literally, the creator of the universe is sitting in her house teaching. Her sister Mary is like, this is a no-brainer. I'm sitting right there. I learned this from my wife and her studies. She's sitting in the position of a disciple. This is how disciples sat. She's sitting at his feet, listening to his teaching. And then her sister rebukes the king of the universe because Mary's not helping enough with the household duties. We get anxious, we get troubled, we start coming at each other, and it's not good. It's not good. We need to watch out for that collectively as we're moving, as we're on this new journey, as we're moving for the first time into a home for this body. It'll be real easy to kick into, do stuff, do stuff, do stuff, I'm gonna do more stuff, then I'm gonna do some more stuff. And then we're going to see somebody else sitting with Jesus and be like, uh, mm -mm. you 
you need to get up off your backside and get to work. That's another thing that can happen to us when we take these things apart. Okay, let's look at the rest uh, of the passage. Let's look at the fruit of coming to Jesus, hearing from him, and doing what he says. Luke 6, 48. The person who does these things is becoming the kind of person who. So he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. So the first thing that jumped out at me sort of in the Lexio Divina time of sitting with this, I have always thought of this as a story about a house. It is a story about a house, but there was something that I was missing, which I believe is the point of what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is describing here in connection to coming to him and hearing him and doing what he says is not a house. What he's describing is a person. He's talking about the kind of person that we become, that we are transformed into. So yes, it is a house, but it's more than a house. It's the work of our hands. It's the work of our lives. It's the things we're putting our energy into. If we will do the work to dig and dig and dig and come to Jesus and listen to him and then do what he says, we will start to build things that can survive a flood. Did you notice that it didn't say if the flood comes? What's it say? When the flood comes and the streams, another, another translation says torrents, rage against the house, the house will be unshaken. Listen, y'all, there is no dodging floods in life, period, the end. They will come, they have come, they will come again. What is a flood? A flood is when some natural thing starts overwhelming its boundaries. And as soon as it does that, it just starts to destroy. If we don't have a house built on a firm foundation in that moment, what happens? Let's find out, Jesus tells us. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. I noticed two things about this man. The thing that I'd always thought about is that this man heard Jesus and didn't do what he said. Did you notice the other thing that's missing there? He says of the first man, the first man comes to me and hears me and does what I say. He says of the second man, the second man hears my words and doesn't do them. What's missing? It doesn't talk about him coming to Jesus. That missing ingredient, he's not spending time with the master. He's heard his words, but he's not spending time with him. And then he doesn't do what the master says. Now I think about, I'm like, I'm looking at Matt who has like taken so many houses that you've spent time with houses. Gregor, I'm thinking about you and architecture. The thought of like, I need a house. Here's some dirt. Guess I'll start building. Not really smart. I'm assuming that wouldn't pass code. You probably need a foundation. You need something solid. 
It's absolute foolishness. And what we see is that the house is destroyed and the ruin of it was great. Here's where I'm going to say the thing that I was wondering if I was going to start to talk about earlier. This is in the church category. Mission drift, shadow mission. When we, as, as a fellowship, stop coming to Jesus and checking in to make sure we're on course, and we hear what he's saying and we get the direction for today, and then we do that. When we stop doing those things, we're like the second man. We're like the foolish man. And what does it say when the flood came? The house fell apart, and the fall of it was great. The destruction was great. I wish I had heard less stories of people who have been hurt in church. I wish I'd never heard one of those stories, ever. I wish we didn't exist, but we do. And the destruction is great, and it's devastating. I I heard a story last week just about, like, man, I believe in Jesus, but I don't like church like church. Like there's a story there. We've witnessed it. The, the devastation when the bride, when the church, when Christ's bride just gets off by a little bit. Because then what kingdom is getting built? It's not God's kingdom. It becomes a man's kingdom. And that thing will stand up for a little while. But when the flood comes, the fall is great. So one of the things that's been on my heart, I know if I'm in a room with people who have been in church, I am not the only one who at some point in my life has experienced church hurt, um, who has experienced being hurt by a pastor or by a minister. And so I want to say to you, as a pastor and a minister of the gospel, I'm so desperately sorry. I'm so very sorry that the place that should have been the safest place on earth is the place where you were hurt. That does not represent the heart of God even a little bit, even a little bit. And so if you can, maybe that pastor, that minister, that person, that church member, that friend is never going to say they're sorry to you ever. Can I stand in their place today and just say, I am so very sorry. Please forgive us. Please forgive us. We know better. We should have done better. What if? What if we do better? We know better. What if we do better? So now think about The two houses, one that is standing, that has withstood the flood, the other one absolutely destroyed. I think we can all look around and see a lot of destroyed houses, a lot of people whose lives are blown apart. There used to be a time that they thought, I got to go to church. It's a safe spot. Somebody's going to help. I'll be loved there. And something's happened. And it's not all the church's fault. It's not all anybody's fault. Culture changes, things change. But what if? What if we are a part of building something that sits 
like God describes, as a city on a hill that has survived the storm. What happens to somebody when their entire house is destroyed? They are now homeless. They need shelter. They need help. What if? What if we became the kind of people who survive the flood unshaken and are available? And these people with destroyed lives can see, why are you not freaked out right now? Why are you not saying horrible things to people on social media? Why are you not terrified about the election? Do you know something I don't know? Yes. Yes, I know someone you don't know. He is a king and he has a kingdom. And his kingdom is unshakable. Unshakable. Better than anything we can imagine. People are healed. Broken hearts are healed. A woman who's had a medical issue for 14 years, an issue of blood, just reaches out and barely touches his garment. Boom, healed, just like that. That's the kingdom of heaven. And what did Jesus say? Go and preach the good news of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom is at hand. It's not just then. It's also now. What if, what if the kingdom invaded more and more? What if God invades through us? Where we work, where we shop, just Eyes open, shining, not hiding our light under a bushel, just shining and being awake and aware. What might happen? Look what happened with Jesus. He looked at all the outcasts who couldn't even come into the temple and said, you're blessed in the kingdom of heaven. You're blessed. I call you blessed the person who needed to be healed on the Sabbath and the rules had taken over any common sense and the church leaders thought you shouldn't do that and Jesus said, watch this. Because he made the Sabbath. What, what if? What if? So how do we do that? It can feel overwhelming or we go sit in our leather chair and set our timer for 10 minutes. Try this this week. Set your timer for 10 minutes and sit in silence. If you are as ADHD as me, you may need headphones and a white noise machine. That's okay. I say that still counts. And sit and listen. And listen, y'all, when you do this, you're going to think all your thoughts as you're trying to be quiet in God's presence. All of them. They're all going to come. I eventually learned to sit with a notebook next to me. And it's like, okay, that one's come like 18 times. Okay, now it's there. I don't have to think it anymore. So, I mean, this, it's a, called a spiritual discipline for a reason. It's, it's not necessarily super easy. But just sit and listen. And sit in the presence of the God who smiles. And see what he might say. And then as a body, let's continue. I love, I love the vision that 
Jake and the leadership have for this church. I'm not saying anything that isn't exactly what his heart is. A, a vision not to build a big old honking thing, but to build a community of believers, to build a church who can love this city and serve and help and make a place for people to come to be loved and to be healed and to be safe. That's who we are. Jake made a place where I get to get some reps in. I get to practice on y'all. Guinea pigs. There's this kingdom, there's this kingdom, and there's this king. And whatever the best we've thought about that kingdom and that king, it's still not good enough. He is better. His kingdom is better than our best thoughts. What if? I'll close with one example of what this can look like. I had this written down somewhere, but I don't remember where. So the details might not be perfect. John Wesley, the famous missionary, John and Charles Wesley, the founders of the Methodist Church, were on a a missionary trip over to the United States on a boat. And a storm came. And the winds were absolutely raging and the boat was filling with water. And all of the English people that were there with the Wesleys were terrified, screaming, thinking they were going to die doing what I think a lot of us would do in that situation. And then they kind of recovered, and the storm calmed down, and they kept going. Well, another day, another storm came. And John Wesley noticed there were, I believe they were Moravians. That's the detail I'm not totally sure about, but I believe they were Moravians. Were on the ship, and the men weren't, freaking out, and the women weren't crying, and the kids weren't screaming and crying. They were peaceful, peaceful. And John Wesley asked them about it, and their faith was so rooted in Jesus, they were unafraid, unafraid, utterly, like for real. Like, we can pretend to be like that until the ship's about to sink, when the, when the flood comes and the storm comes, whatever's inside comes out. What was coming out of them was peace, and they just kept singing. John Wesley talks about that being his moment of conversion. He's already a missionary and a pastor and points to that moment as the moment he knew he needed God. That's in the what-if category. We could become like those peaceful folks who are doing what they do and loving Jesus and singing their songs. And when the storm comes, what do they do? They love Jesus and they sing their songs. Last thing. This year we have an opportunity um, to do this and it's going to be desperately needed. Now I know the last few election years have been really peaceful and Unifying, we're in an election year and we know what happens. What if we choose a king and a kingdom 
over trusting any man in any government and we're kind. We're just nice to people. We're just kind. We could get super crazy and love our enemies and bless those who are going to curse us. We have the opportunity this year coming at us in a hurry, like, this is going to be bonkers. It's just a storm. It's just a storm, just a flood. If we come to Jesus and we hear what he says, and we do it by the indwelling power of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we might just look like those Moravians on the boat this year. Let's pray. God, we are literally hopeless without you. There is nothing we've talked about today that can happen without you doing it. We have to be transformed into your image. We have to be. We have to be anointed. We have to be covered in the blood of Christ. We have to experience the renewing of our minds. We cannot do any of this without you. But with you, all things are possible. So God, would you give us the spirit of what if, as disciples and as a church, what if we lived in a way knowing that the kingdom is at hand? Would you do that, God? Would you do it, Lord? We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.